Welcome to the Gamer's Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host tonight, Ryan Murphy, and joining me tonight is not Jocelyn. Jocelyn is uh, is off this week. She's working on some school stuff, and uh, I'm joined by Babylon Redeemer. However, Babylon, should I call you Babylon? Like, how, how do we make this process easier? I can call you Babylon or... or Sir Redeemer, if that's how you prefer to be referenced to. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I, I think that the best uh, thing to do would be just to call me Josh. All right. Well, you know what? Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Because you know what? We have lots of Joshes that we uh, love to have in the show. And if Jocelyn happens to listen to this, you might think we're, we're talking to her as, as Josh and Joss sound really close. But it's fine. We'll make it work. Uh, I'll call you Josh because that is your name, and uh, probably in in Discord you'll have to update. You'll I don't know if you've done, I've seen a few people put the uh, the middle name quotations, you know. So you got Jim Play Trails, the shovel. Uh, so you could be Babylon quote Josh Redeemer now. So there you go. You can join. We should have a a Josh sort of role in our Discord as well, since there's quite a few Joshes. How do you feel about that? It's surprising. I feel like I don't run into as many, but I'm sure that's just luck of the draw draw or or bad luck, depending on how you look at it. It's not bad luck. I think it, I think it's great luck. I, you know, I don't think I've known a bad Josh. All the Joshes certainly in our in our gamers in corner of the internet have been fantastic, and uh, I'm happy to welcome on to the show another Josh, and I'm also happy to have you here because we are going to deep dive on a heavily influenced uh by fire emblem game called dark deity and this uh this launched around e3 i think right on e3 week and uh you've been playing it you've you've finished it right yeah i have i've completed it on the basically the the equivalent of normal there are three difficulties and i I beat it on the the middle one nice that's the way to do it normal is the way to go especially with these games uh where they can be uh quite brutal it's a strategy tactics game and as i said heavily influenced by fire emblem uh early fire emblem games i know more recent fire emblem games have seen a lot of quality of life additions like uh rewinding turns and um different difficulty levels but uh, where Dark Deity sort of um, doesn't do the the quality of life with the with the rewinding, I think the the you know we could start at a bunch of places. But I think really what people want to know is like, okay, how influenced is this by early Fire Emblem? Am I going to have my characters dying left and right? And I'm hoping we can talk about the wound system a little bit because that's sort of their answer to character death. Your characters don't die. They are like wounded uh, when they when they uh, lose all their health in a battle. So when a character loses all its health, you'll get a little, you know, you'll get the I need to retreat message and a little pop up will come up saying like, hey, severed finger, you lose you 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 uh, lose two strengths, you know, and um, I can just tell you right now, I have a few characters who are unable to probably hold their swords or various weapons because they've lost so many fingers. Um, but, uh, it's a really cool system that kind of teaches you, uh, 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 it's bad to let your characters die, but doesn't, you know, completely punish you by removing them from your pool of units, right? 
I think it's it's an interesting balance between some of the different ways we've seen these type of games do it because you still get penalized in some way, like you said, with the the the, the poor last finger um, and and the the stat. But the way that the stats, I guess, ramp in the game, it it's it's enough of a it's enough of a penalty to make you think, but not one so much that it's you're gonna have to redo a whole playthrough because of it. Um, it's 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 able to be worked around. Um, at least that's what I found. Yeah. Well, you have such a large uh, group, large stable stable of heroes to pull from that if you do have a character sort of get a lot, you know, die a lot in in battles, you can kind of make up for that by having various other crew members uh to pull from now that being said if your favorite character starts to die a lot you might need to pay some special attention to that character and um level them up uh and uh, sort of treat them with kids gloves for a little bit however there are like stat boosts and stuff similar to fire emblem games where you can um i mean you can't reattach the finger but you can feed them like a, a special uh, food so that they regain some of that strength um i don't know if i've seen in the item or in the unit stats like if it shows the the changes that have happened like if it lists your 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 wounds um i couldn't find that in in the unit description because that would have been handy to kind of see um exactly what stats have been lost by your character through those wounds have you seen that or or maybe i missed it it's it's funny that you say that actually because that's actually something that I actually had problems with myself. Um, I I looked on multiple occasions to try to find a list of the wounds, and I couldn't actually find one. I mean, that doesn't mean there isn't one, but I to uh, it isn't something that I just looked for once or twice. <laughs> yeah, it is unfortunate, but you know, being a, a stats driven game, you you kind of want to see those changes. Um, however, like it is very minor, the, the stat changes, uh, like, I think they might even be based on the character too. Like the character I had die a lot, I think is one of the main characters. I think his name is Irving and he's sort of a, a, a Lance sort of the, the cl- we should talk about the classes as well. Cause they, are, uh, you know, they're handled very differently. Um, then in Fire Emblem, they're sort of, uh, they're like kind of weapon based, but also, they they vary wildly depending on like the type of class you start with um but anyways i had irving you know lose a couple fingers and he's died quite a bit as well as his buddy uh i I can't remember the other guy's name with the blue hair um he's died quite a bit too so i don't know where they're sitting but uh, i've i've had to try to you know uh, they're lower leveled so i've tried to maybe let them pick off a few enemy stragglers uh, to try to get a little more levels but um the game you know and you you may be wondering like oh if this was a fire emblem game you think you'd start with the story right Uh, like the story is is very like it's probably one of the things that they pulled from fire emblem and didn't really put a lot of uh, i don't want to say effort that's the wrong word but it really feels like they didn't add their own spin to it because it's very much you know standard affair jrpg fire emblem type story where you're you're going to this school that teaches kids how to fight 
and uh, oh, there's a war, and turns out the graduating class always gets brought into um, the army, but in this case, the whole school has been conscripted, so that's why you have kids on the battlefield, and um, you're fighting what appears to be a long-fought enemy, then you, like, get, you know, pulled into some, like, there's some dragon god thing, a la Fire Emblem, that, that is threatening humanity and all of a sudden you have to work with your enemy like it's very much let's take all the tropes from fire emblem and throw them into a cauldron and sort of like you know mix it up do you have any thoughts on the story like did am i wrong here or does it get better i'm only halfway through the game i think i think the way i would describe it is you're not wrong um i think that they don't they don't really change much as far as the the tropes like you said that they're that they're introducing but i would say that they execute on them about as well as i've seen in the past so if you is if you liked that type of story in the past you're likely to be satisfied with this one is is the way i would describe it yeah i mean the story certainly drives your characters forward and it's not like it doesn't make sense if you've played, like you said, if you've played past Fire Emblem games, you're getting a Fire Emblem-esque story here, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's nothing really to write home about, and I think the twists and turns in the story just serves to add additional characters to your roster from different factions across um, the game world, and for the most part, it's pretty straightforward, and... uh but it but it varies your your crew and i've that's the other thing is like like i've had a hard time kind of wrapping my mind around how the classes and the weapons and the progression works because you your unit has a base class then that unit has four different weapons that are built into their character so you don't have to equip weapons like in fire emblem you just have four weapons that are used in battle and you can cycle through them when you go to attack um and we'll talk about upgrades in a little bit but you have those base class four weapons you level up every 10 is it every 10 levels that you get an option to promote your character or is it every 20 i think the first one is at 10 and then the second one is i want to say not till 30 okay yeah that sounds about right and uh when you promote you have four options now I haven't been able to promote into the into the final tier of classes, but uh, you have four options. And for some characters, if they're like an elemental sort of knight or whatever, I, I can't remember what they're called. Um, their upgrades make sense because it's kind of like okay, um, uh, wind, fire, electric, and uh, there's one more, and that that makes sense. It's just cho- choosing a different element, but but then you get to like the I, I think it's a like an archer and it kind of wildly varies. There's like a raider where you have an axe and then there's a couple of archer classes where one is a sniper and one is a one on a horse and it, it varies wildly. So it feels like at first you might think, oh, there's there's less classes. But I think if you spec everybody differently who comes into your roster, you could have a unique sort of character or a unique class for each character because there's a lot of... There's a lot of routes you can take. Um, but the question I had, when you get to the final tier, are you locked into a path or can you kind of work your way around if you get to that level 30? Can you jump around that final tier or do you just have to upgrade 
the one class that you had already chosen? I would say that is something that actually sets this apart from prior games of its type because um, if you want, you can. They have the, I guess, the class upgrades that you know would quote unquote like make sense. You know, if you have like you said a lightning elemental knight, and then you know you upgrade to like the next level of that lightning. But you could also jump around to another one within that same four cl- like main. Basically, I guess let me back up. You start off with one main class, and then the first upgrade there's four, and then there's four upgrades for the second tier as well. Um, and you can mix and match. Um, and each upgrade, both the first tier and the second tier, has different, of course, stat bonuses and abilities that they get. Um, so even if you had somebody start the same, if you picked a, a different upgrade for them on a different playthrough, you could end up with a, a you know, a bit of a different feel. You can sort of customize and, and mix and match in that way, which is, is neat. Yeah, it is really cool the way they've set up those those classes. And, and honestly, the way I've kind of approached it is if I've uh, really started to enjoy a character in the way they're portrayed and the way they sort of act around other characters, it, it also kind of leads me down a certain path uh, of class for that character. So I think like one of the archers, I think her name is Sophie. She has like a little uh, pet ferret that she has around, who she calls Butter. So it's like immensely cute, immensely fire emblem. And, uh, you know, the choices for her was like, you could make her <laughs> like a, like a, uh, uh, a pillager or like a you know on a horse with a torch and an axe and it's like ah oh, that didn't quite fit you can make her a sniper uh it, it didn't feel right but then there was one where you could put her on her horse where she's just an archer on a horse and i thought you know what i can picture her doing that with the ferret sort of like riding on her shoulder or in front of her while she's on the horse like that fit in my mind so like you do have that ability to choose different classes based on uh, the character type like there was a couple I think there's a couple of mages that just felt right going down a specific path in my head just based on their character because that's the other aspect of this game is that there is um, something that wasn't really if I remember correctly and I know I do a Fire Emblem podcast and I, and I know someone's going to correct me it, it might be Eddie but or, or it might not be because I'm going to talk about like previous Fire Emblem games, like before it even came to North America. Because uh, the first Fire Emblem game that came to North America was on the GBA and it had support conversations. Um, I'm not sure if games previous to that had support conversations, but it really feels like Dark Deity is based on those very early Fire Emblem games in terms of its difficulty and its setup. Um, but there are those support conversations that are in there. So the more you you play with, uh, the more you play characters and have them fight alongside each other, you're unlocking these other conversations that you can play through in between your missions. And that's kind of where you get a lot of that character build, building throughout the game. And, uh, you know, it's not fully voiced like Three Houses. It's sort of the, they do the, you know, they have like 20 lines that they record and they'll play them at the start of each dialogue. Or So sometimes it's like, yeah, and like, ha ha ha, no way. You know, stuff like that uh, can be super annoying, but, you know, it works sometimes, especially if you like the character. If you don't like the character, it can get pretty annoying to hear them go, 
whoa, no way. I'd like every time they talk, but um, I like most of the support conversations that I've seen so far. Again, especially with characters that I enjoy and you, you learn a little bit more about the world as well. Cause again, like I said, you have different characters from different factions interacting for the first time and kind of talking about that conflict between their two countries uh, or whatever. So did you, did you enjoy the support conversations? Like, I, I don't think they're like the best part of the game, but it's nice that they're in there for sure. Those who, who know me from the, the gamers in discord will probably know that I'm sort of like the, the Lord nerd. So I really, I, I, I think for the most part, I'd say I, I did enjoy the, them because these conversations, you, you they really delve into, I guess, like the different, not just the motivations of the characters, but they also slip in some details about, like whatever culture they're from, or or whatever country, or you know the different like types of of classes or battle that they're doing. So you get these details that maybe wouldn't matter, like when you're doing the actual level, but sort of colors the the world in a bit more, especially. Um, which I enjoyed, especially because, like we said, the story itself, the the bones of it is um, a bit tropey. Yeah, yeah, and and like you said, I think the uh, the 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 bonds that you are forming between characters, um, they do they do build upon that story and give you more backstory, which really helps build upon like the very. If you just do the bare bones, you're gonna get a pretty. Uh, expected story from what I've I've experienced so far. Uh, I'm on chapter 12. Uh, I hit a boat level. So that's the other thing. They've really like, they've brought in a lot of those Fire Emblem tropes of like, there's a boat level. Um, I haven't done a Fog of War level, which I'm fine with. I don't think there is one unless I'm, unless it's coming, which I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, Where essentially you have to, uh, you can't see the enemies and you have to use torches to kind of like make sure you can see ahead so you don't get ambushed. Am I am I coming up? I, you can spoil that. Am I coming up on a fog of war map? Because I, I don't know. I don't think so. But I will say that as you get later in the, um, in the game, especially towards the end, there are some, there are some pretty. I'm not sure what the right word is. So pretty wild, I guess. Like looks to um, how they go about doing things. There are even some um, unexpected type of battles. Um, I'm not sure how spoilery you want me to get on that um i don't know but types of battles is probably fine i mean like you know spoiler wise like there's there's uh there's been a couple critical moments um that have like canon deaths like uh you know character changes that sort of stuff we can probably lean away from but like you know crazy battles like i described a boat level so like lay it on me what do we got coming I think something that was exciting that I wasn't expecting to see in the game is there are a couple of uh, big monster battles. Oh, cool. And I, I think the other thing to, that's worth saying about the maps while we're on the subject is one thing I really liked is not every map, but there were quite a few maps that I, I found that sort of had a sense of strategy to them in that you could, there were different ways you could sort of go about doing it. Um, like, there, there were like hallways where you could set up choke points with like more tanky characters. Um, you could split up your group or not, um, depending on whether you want to go for like a speed bonus or you want to play it more safe. Um, so I liked the sense of strategy that that went into the maps in that way. 
Yeah, they, this is definitely something that they've pulled from Fire Emblem in general. Is just they've they've got early on in the game, you're going to come across the the standard like, here's a very simple map. Enemies are on this side. You're on this side. You have much more powerful enemies or much more powerful units, and you're going to you know bulldoze the map, no problem. But as you move forward, they are they're slowly introducing to you like more classes and more enemy types and that's when the maps start to involve a lot more strategy and and I, you're absolutely right you need to really pay attention to those you know instances where you are going to be up against an army and you like typical fire emblem you are a small band of heroes and you're up against an army and the only way you're going to be able to do this uh, easily uh, or more easier is to really take some strategy on it and find those characters that are going to be good at countering ranged and uh, taking a bunch of hits and creating those choke choke points so that you have multiple characters that can come in and attack and where the strategy also comes into play and, and again like fire emblem there are characters uh they've they've set up all the classes in a way where sometimes in you know fire emblem um for healers, you had to wait until nearly the end game to have your healer to be able to attack and heal. And depending on what your strategy was, um, sometimes you don't need to heal your characters. You just need to do damage. And in this game, in Dark Deity, right off the bat, your characters have um, an attack and a sort of an assist skill. And obviously the healers have um, the ability to heal as their assist. But a lot of other characters like mages, they have this ability to phase which has come in really handy for me to be able to move ranged characters out of the way so that I can bring in another ranged character and get two hits um, on the other side of a choke point. So there are little things like that that you can miss completely because, oh, this is my, um, you know, damage dealer. It's not a healer, so they're not going to have an assist skill that's going to come in handy. So you need to really pay attention to that too. And there's a lot of layers here where if you just play it straight as like I'm gonna like a like a chess game where I'm gonna put all my pieces on the board and just battle my way through it, there's just a lot more to it if if you really want to get into the weeds of the strategy because there's a lot there to play with. And I'm guilty of not doing that. I'm sitting here saying, you know, do as I say, not as I do. I'm definitely one of those folks who just like, oh, I'm just gonna put my powerhouses front and center and just slowly you know, pick away at this. Um, but there are some maps that require some some speedy pace because uh, I think I've done a few of them where the enemy is destroying something and you need to clear the enemies um, at a steady pace so that they don't destroy it. I think there's an aqueduct level and the ship level I'm on now. They're they're trying to destroy it. So the <laughs> my normal defense or my normal uh, tactic of turtle and and slowly move forward like uh, um, it, it just doesn't work in those instances so you got to kind of mix things up because and that's where the map and the the, uh, the map setups push you to be more strategic and, and in ways where if you just turtle and slowly advance you're gonna fail <laughs> and I've had that happen um, so that's also a, a fun addition to kind of keep you uh keep you on your toes there are some maps that almost start you at a disadvantage just in the 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 spaces where you can place your guys and um 
and what type of enemies are around you and how quickly they can get to you. So there were, there were a couple that I, I had to really think about how I wanted to start, and the, the start of the battle was actually the, the toughest part in those, in those cases, which was interesting to see. Yeah, and that actually brings me to uh, the next point. I mean, we talked a lot of positives, and I want to talk about like the structure of the game and the setup of the game. Like, basically, the I don't know if it's UI, but like, it's not. Um, I mean, you know, I'm also guilty of this at the beginning of a map. Let's just get in there. I got a time from one map. Let's do this. Really, setting up your map is key because if you don't prep the map, you uh, might have characters. Uh, split across the map and then you might have your left side with no healers and your right side with all the healers or or whatever and and it's very easy to tell if a character has an advantage over another um like a character has an advantage over an enemy type because when you mouse over i should have mentioned at the top but dark deity is exclusive to windows pc through steam um it's made through game maker i i know game maker supports mac um, and possibly Linux, but at this time it's only Windows. Um, but that being said, uh, doing that map prep when you mouse over a character um, or use the controller to mouse over or to to hover over a character, you can see whether that character is um, has an advantage over the enemies in sort of your view box there. So it gives you a really quick check. And I've had instances where um, the map just put my characters in placements where on one side of the map I had a bunch of characters that had a disadvantage so they were all at a disadvantage because I didn't bother to prep I've definitely had instances where healers were all to one side and therefore my turtle and forward momentum tactic you know failed because all the healers were to the right side instead of the left wonder why characters were dying um but so you got to pay attention to that map prep but that being said like I've um there's there's a lot of these uh i don't know i wouldn't call them i've definitely experienced glitches in the game but i feel like the unit management and some of the menus are a little clunky uh and a little slow to respond so there is some like i don't know i I also don't want to call it sort of it's not broken it just feels a little clunky sometimes and that can get in the way of the enjoyment of strategy, uh, because part of the great, you know, part of the great thing about strategy is being able to set something up, you know, without much effort, and then see the results of your work. And I find sometimes like the UI can sometimes get in the way. It, it and it, it's probably a game maker thing, um, you know, like a one size fits all kind of kind of a builder. I've never made a, a game in Game Maker. Maybe I'm wrong. But I don't know, did you experience that? Like the menus kind of being a little clunky and and uh, the UI being a little finicky? Yeah, I think it's it's twofold. Um, you know, it you know, being an like you said, a game maker, you know, older style like pixel type of, of game, you know, there are limitations to what, you know, the UI could be. But I think it's it's made worse by something that is both something I liked about the game and disliked about the game, and that's the level of customization that's available. So because they try to do so much with what you can do with your characters, there's just a lot to look at. Um, so it, it can be a bit busy, and sometimes you're like you're wondering, 
am I in the right spot to be looking at this or is that in the other place? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I mentioned glitches earlier. I've had a couple of instances where, um, I, I talked about this on the mini, uh, but units will sometimes glitch out where their hitbox is like a, um, a step ahead of them, a square ahead of them. So I'll think the unit's safe and then wonder why they're getting bombarded or even dying. Uh, I've had that happen a couple times. Um, Me too. And I think in order to reset it, I had to like click on the box where the game thought they were and then and then do an action with that character. So th- that's something to keep an eye out. It's um, You had said it had happened to you as well, eh? Yeah, um, I was mostly was able to solve it the same way. Um, it's just as usually I could do it by clicking the square that, that the game thought they were on. Or I think the most awkward that that ended up being is if there was a lot of characters around that character. Because sometimes there, it, it, I ended up having to play some sort of strange UI games, trying to like move the right person out of the way so that then I could get the character I wanted. Yeah, it's a little odd. And and here's the thing: I've also had another issue. Now, I, before I state this issue, I think it's worth noting that the developers behind this game and Josh, you may be able to correct me. How many is it? Is it a team, a small team, or is it one main developer? I'm I'm not so, sure. I, I've I was I watched um, an interview or two with who the gentleman who I believe is the main developer, but I think he mentioned um, other people. But I, I do believe it's it's quite a small group doing this. Um, so so it, that is something to keep in mind. There are there are some glitches like that, but I I wouldn't say that any made me. I mean, I finished the game, so that should tell you something. But it um, none of them made me want to quit. But just some annoyances, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nothing has made me shy away. Although, um, what I was getting at is, uh, so it's a small team. They've done they've done a lot of work uh, on the game post launch, um, early on, doing a lot of addressing a lot of bug fixes. There's still bugs in there, but they were taking care of a lot of the critical ones. Um, I think it's seen ten patches already, and one of the major additions that was critical for me was battle save. So. They've implemented a system where, uh, in Fire Emblem, they call it the bookmark. So you can like bookmark your battle and come back to it, shut your system down and come back to it. Uh, and that has gotten more uh, flexible as the Fire Emblem games have progressed. But in Dark Deity, they've always stated it was never part of their original design, but they were able to add it. Uh, that being said, it's pretty finicky, and um, the UI that explains its function not very helpful. So I've had instances where the game has crashed. Um, that does not save a battle save. So if the game crashes, it's whatever save you had. So save whenever you get a chance and you're given chances uh, previous to right before you go into a mission, in between missions, and um, in between chapters. So those are the three instances in which you can save manually. Uh, but the battle save is not a fail save. It's not something you have to trigger it, not through, uh, I want to leave bookmark this, please. It won't even work if you hit the, I, I haven't had it work. If you hit the pause button and you go to exit, which exits the game completely, that does not set up a battle save. I've lost three quarters of a chapter, uh, doing that. Maybe that's a bug, but the way I've been able to replicate it working is 
pausing and hitting main menu and then exiting the game and that will make a battle save that's worked um but if i had to recommend playing this game in a way that is stress-free you might just want to finish a chapter and save manually because honestly the battle save has been hit and miss uh i don't know if you've had any experience with the battle save function but it's like i said it's it's been wonky for me I saw that they put it in, uh, I think, I want to say it was the first week um, in response to people, you know, asking for it. But I, myself, mainly stuck to the the, the standard hard saves. Um, I, I, I sort of went overboard, like you said, because I would do a save, like, before I entered the battle, after I, like, bought my upgrades and whatnot. And then I would do another one after I, like, placed all my guys where I wanted. So then I could sort of... If I didn't like what I did, or it like went horribly, you know, there were a couple of cases where I could be like, "All right, let me try this a different way." <laughs> yeah, so I think that's kind of a great way to approach it. And if you are playing this game or thinking of playing this game, the chapters aren't crazy long, so if you had to restart, um, like I said, I've had to do it a couple times. Games crashed um, once, uh, which I don't know if it was the game, but I've never had a blue screen of death on, you know, knock on wood. Uh, I haven't seen one in a very long time and I had one while playing this game. Now it could have been the fact that I was, you know, playing on uh, steam and I had big picture running and big picture has not seen a solid update in a long time. Or I was, and again, don't, <laughs> I know discord's going to eat this one up, but I was using a steam controller. So again, you could probably, you know, throw it at the feet of that. Cause again, valve and hardware, it is. We're going to talk about that later, but uh, it could have been anything. But that being said, when it, when it did crash, I, I lost progress. So make sure you're saving, like like Josh said. Um, I'm wondering if there's something we're missing here. I mean, obviously we've we've talked a lot about Dark Deity, but uh, I I think if you you know final recommendations here, like I think if you like Fire Emblem and you want more of that old school approach to the franchise, you you've you've either pick this up already or you have not heard of it because to me it like it hasn't had the biggest splash that i thought it would from fire emblem fans in general i think um this was the the i was able to pick this one up pretty quick um because especially with indie games like this my strategy is a lot of times they'll get mentioned at an e3 um and not even necessarily the E3 right before they launch. Um, and then, you you know, given it's an indie, you might not hear about it again. So I've been really good about, like, wishlisting stuff like that. So I've sort of, I sort of knew it was coming because I was watching my wishlist. But I think you're right in that, you know, especially in that type of sea of news that you see in spring and summer, um, you know, it might have gotten lost for some people if they if they weren't doing that. <laughs> Yeah. And it it should be mentioned it's uh 24.99 American and uh 28.99 uh Canadian. And and the thing is uh, I think they had a pretty generous 20% off launch price, which is when I decided to pick it up. You know, that was uh, again a very generous move from from the developers to to launch with such a which with such a discount, but I, I think there's a lot to love with this game, and frankly, at the pace at which Nintendo releases Fire Emblem games, let alone the more classic-focused ones, y- you definitely should pick this one up. And, um, you know, it doesn't have 
doesn't have a lot of the later Fire Emblem features. Like um, it has the support stuff, but it doesn't have the relationships. You're not, you know, seeing characters move from uh, to it. As far as I know, there's no S rank, right? For characters, they're just sort of like everyone's really good buds, you know? Yeah, they don't do. Um, they don't really do anything beyond big friendships, but some of those ended up being really interesting anyway. Um, just because, uh, you know, especially if you if you get people like I said that are that are from different cultures or, or different, um, uh, you know, the, there was even some people that that you know were part of different like in-game religions, and uh, you know, it was really interesting seeing how they they were able to like you know get along with each other from you know obviously a rocky start yeah yeah that's true i really i really have enjoyed sort of the relationships uh that have formed around these characters as uh and i find similar to fire emblem some of the bonds are unlocking based on how what chapter you cleared and they're addressing specific events and i won't go into details because that would be spoilery but there's a lot of like really cool story they're they're laying down outside of the main um starts and ends of chapters the story is definitely there as well but like you get a lot more by by diving into these into these characters and i mean you know there's there's a lot to it uh you can upgrade weapons um and you get that you do that through like tier tokens by you know you can either buy them or by uh taking out other units uh enemy units and there's there's a lot to it um and and you can upgrade each weapon that the character has so that like also adds to the strategy of like do you want to just focus on one weapon or do you want to spread it around like there's just a lot you can do right off the bat and they really don't lock anything to you from the beginning you kind of are allowed to you you have access to all the tools pretty much right off the bat i think it takes a couple chapters for you to get this sort of in between sort of uh i don't know what you intermission type stuff where you're forming the bonds and you can shop and stuff but you've got access to the whole game uh in terms of features and stuff probably by chapter two or three right yeah the only thing that really ramps up as you get later in the game is there's items called aspects that are really strong buff items um and you definite those definitely pick up in a big way the later you get in the game yeah for sure. And then some of those are weird because some of those are just like, hey, you get 20% to your hit. But others are, you know, swap uh, swap your strength and dexterity or something. And you really have to pay attention to your character's stats and what stat is useful. So if they they don't use dexterity very much and you want more strength, you can certainly equip it. But um, those ones the aspects definitely require you to do a little due diligence before you equip them, especially if they have a, you know, a min maxing quality to them, you know? So, um, yeah, it, there's a lot to love about dark deity. Uh, it's available now it's on steam available for windows. Uh, it supports controller and, uh, keyboard and mouse. I've been sort of primarily playing controller. Josh, I don't know. Have you been, you've been using mouse and keyboard. I was also using controller. Um, but my my old uh, Xbox 360 controller is that is still serving me well. Nice, a classic. Uh, and <laughs> I said that. I know a lot of people are going to be like Ryan, either too soon or 
I'll show you a classic. That's probably the two reactions that are happening right now as you're listening to this. Um, yeah, and as I said, it's $25 US, uh, about $30 Canadian, and uh, certainly worth checking out if you are a big fan of Fire Emblem and are looking for more Fire Emblem content. And I know we have some Fire Emblem uh, players in our community, so definitely check out Dark Deity. And uh, that is going to do it for what we're playing. I want to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash thegamersin. This month, we're getting a shout-out to Adam, one of our newest patrons. Thank you so much for supporting the show. If you're a patron, you get early access, a couple days early access, to our TGI Patreon mini show that I record in which we are rocketing towards the end of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. So if you want to listen to the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 update corner, that is the place to do it. So yeah, definitely check that out, patreon.com slash thegamersin. Become a patron and get early access to the mini, as well as get a shout-out on this here show. All right, let us move into the news. Uh, We're going to kick things off with an update to the Activision Blizzard lawsuit and sort of the developments on that story. So last week, Jocelyn and I talked about uh, the lawsuit brought forward by the state of California against Activision Blizzard and what has sort of happened from from that point is uh, Activision Blizzard had a walkout Uh, A lot of employees signed an open letter. We talked about that on the show, and the um, result of that was an organized walkout by staff at Activision Blizzard. And um, it's also important to note that the employees had four demands uh, that have been ignored by Activision Blizzard. There's been, you know, a uh, a lot of little details that have come out from Activision Blizzard in terms of how they're responding to this lawsuit, you know, hiring uh, a union-busting law firm, encouraging staff to talk to Activision Blizzard um, internal lawyers. And really, I I have not seen a back down from staff, um, which is good because staff really want Activision Blizzard to change. They want the video game industry to change. They want want to make uh, this industry better for everyone in it and i think that is really great and i want to we obviously want to see that change and i think uh whatever we can do to continue supporting the the employees of activision blizzard is is something we should continue doing because like i said they're the only ones that can really make meaningful change internally at activision blizzard and i think uh they're still staring down you know management you know, because they they every time I see a news story, the the people who are representing the employees of Activision Blizzard, that group, they they keep saying like we are not backing down. Our demands has still not been met. Um, I think uh, you know the of the four demands, you know they're not talking unionization. It's not one of the demands. Um, I think they're pretty simple. It's uh, I don't I don't have them in front of me, but I think one of them is like you know stopping um, mandatory arbitration internal arbitration um you know making salaries public so that people know uh, what other people of equivalent positions are being paid nothing nothing really that can't be done right and uh the activision blizzard management is is holding strong and there has been uh, uh, even further developments today even um 
Josh, uh, you had sort of brought this one forward to me uh, in that Activision Blizzard is kind of facing a second lawsuit, which is is uh, class action based from shareholders. Do you want to explain that one a little bit? Yeah, the way that it looks is that the this this one sort of comes from the investors um, feeling like they weren't adequately informed under the law um, because they have to give a report every year um, about potential legal issues and, and other types of um, issues that might affect investors. Um, and this investigation, the first one that came from the state of California, um, you know, the way that uh, this, the article I saw, I believe was Kotaku. Um, and it, it made, it made it seem like they, that was not adequately, adequately reported to the investors. At least that's, that's what they're alleging in their lawsuit. So it's um, sort of compounding lawsuit upon lawsuit, just based on past and present handling. Yeah. And, you know, there's been some, uh, some, you know, sort of responses in the past of similar lawsuits um, from even from Activision Blizzard, where they've kind of said like, "Hey, you know, where you get sued all the time, and these suits won't uh, won't affect our, our bottom line." And that's sort of been their response to lawsuits like the class action lawsuit. Um, uh, you know, their responses to the state of California lawsuit ha- ha- have been tone deaf. And you might be thinking like, "Oh, that just sounds like their normal responses," but no, that was that was specifically to like class action lawsuits, like the one for. Uh, for for the second lawsuit they're facing and it's um it makes sense to me i mean you know a lot of the response to the state of california lawsuit was you know they've been doing this investigation for two years and really the invest we're just finding out about this investigation and the resulting lawsuit um we've we've we all kind of sort of felt like we all kind of found out at the same time and I think that's the critical part here is that, you know, shareholders are saying, well, you didn't tell us about this lawsuit. You've been investigated for two years. That might have been good knowledge to know in terms of us investing in your company. And rightfully so. Like, I think I have a limited understanding of how the stock market works and it's not my cup of tea, but information there is power. And there's a lot of laws put in place to protect you from insider or to protect the market from insider trading and stuff like that. So this seems like it should have come up before to shareholders, right? If there was an investigation going, but uh, maybe there's something in there about like, uh, we couldn't make the investigation public because then it would, you know, damage the lawsuit or, or any sort of filing that would come from it. I have no idea. This information um, just sort of uh, came out about the second lawsuit just before we were recording. So um, I'm sure there'll be more. I'm sure there'll be more details, and I'm I'm guessing uh, Activision Blizzard will also have their 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 point of view on the matter as well. Yeah, I think you're right. It was just uh, they had an earnings call today, and I think it was sort of coming out from or adjacent to that earnings call. And uh, the the last big news, or at least development update on this uh, Activision Blizzard uh, side of things is this morning uh, Blizzard announced new leadership. Uh, J. Allen Brack has stepped down. And uh, it's important to note, like, the thing we're going to link to is the actual Blizzard post, uh, the news post that was put up. Really not a... No direct mention to the lawsuit. Just really talking about how, you know... Uh, so they're they're moving from um, J. Allen Brack, who was president, 
and they're going to have two co-leads, one of which is Jen O'Neill and the other is Mike Yabera. Uh, Jen, it was, uh, she was, uh, sorry, what do I have here? She, so she's former head of Vicarious Visions, which is now also a part of Blizzard Entertainment. Um, before that, they were within the umbrella of Activision Blizzard. And uh, she also had experience with senior development leadership and support to Diablo and the Overwatch franchises. So she will be a co-lead. And alongside her is Mike Yabara, who had uh, nearly 20 years at Xbox. Um, he did a lot of the Xbox Live stuff. Uh, so he is going to co-lead alongside Jen. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about these the way the co-leads have been set up. You know, my the point I've taken away that I've seen a lot sort of thrown around is that, you know, you have Blizzard Entertainment going from having a CEO to a president to now co-leads and really illustrating that Blizzard really is turning into another Activision subsidy or, you know, sub-team. And it wouldn't honestly surprise me in the next five years if it just becomes Activision and that's it. And Blizzard will continue to exist, don't get me wrong, but it will not be Activision Blizzard anymore. I, I, I can totally see it becoming just just Activision and Blizzard being just another cog in the Activision wheel. It's, it's, it's a tough situation all around. Um, obviously, the the top concern is, you know, listening to the employees and sort of amplifying them as much as possible. But I think this, as far as this issue itself with the with the new leadership it's sort of it's 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 interesting because you're right you know they're definitely moving towards at least it looks like more of a activision you know direct umbrella but i think it's sort of compounded by the fact that a lot of what we learned from this lawsuit was sort of you know mistakes and and problems that even go back to old Blizzard. So some of what fans like us, you know, miss is, is sort of been called into question by this, um, by this lawsuit anyway. So it's sort of a, a really strange, I guess, grouping of, of things that have, that have come out of this, you know, both positive and negative. Yeah. And, and it should be noted as well that it, it wasn't in their news post. I don't think Blizzard was going to acknowledge it. But uh, Bloomberg had also learned, and, and everybody else is reporting now, that the head of HR at Blizzard has has also left the company. And for for meaningful change to happen, like of course you, you need to replace Jalen Brack as president. And yeah, I don't necessarily want to sit here. You're absolutely right and say like, oh man, there's now two co-leads and we could see you know, Blizzard become less of a, less of a focus and just become a Activision studio. That, that is a distraction, you know, from what really needs to change. And, you know, you, of course, replacing your president that sat there um, and did not action on the terrible things that were being reported and the H head of HR, absolutely. They all need to be replaced you know, at HR, as far as I'm concerned, because, but it starts, it starts at the lead, right? And getting rid of the head of HR, that makes sense as well. And that's a positive, you know, that can lead to positive change. But as we said last week, and as I said in the mini, like, we need to see action, we need to see change. And yes, Activision Blizzard continues to say, we want to be leaders in this industry, we want 
there to be change. But as you said, Josh, it starts with listening to the employees. And I'm not going to say Activision Blizzard hasn't listened at all, but they've certainly not listened enough until there needs to be some dialogue. And certainly that is that could be happening behind closed doors, but employees are very still very much, at least on Twitter from what I've seen, still very much upset with, with uh, the lack of action um, from Activision Blizzard. So, you know, as I said, we'll continue to report on it here on the show. We'll talk um, about the updates as things move forward. And uh, I don't think this is the last we'll talk of it. I'm sure there will be updates each week. So we'll definitely keep everybody in the loop. Um, one thing we had not had a chance to talk about, which has uh, been announced a couple weeks ago, is the Steam Deck. We did, you know, allude to, oh, it's the Switch Pro, finally. Um which is fitting, but uh, the Steam Deck got announced, and you know I'm sure you've all heard the specs, you've heard the price points, you've heard the the thoughts, but um, I wanted to you know sort of capture our thoughts here because in terms of a, a handheld PC, it it is super tempting. Um, I, I spoke to a friend of mine, uh, Lou, who's my co-host on Zombies Ate My Podcast. He had uh, pre-ordered one, and he's purchasing one. Um, so we'll likely have him on the show, uh, once it's in his hands to talk about the specific hardware and what he thinks about it. But I look at this and I'm like, as someone who constantly complains about PC gaming, um, and, uh, and kind of the complexities around it, um, and just not wanting to deal with those complexities, uh, you know, a console like device that plays my PC games, um, even through a compatibility layer with Proton, uh, most of the games I play on PC are are PC exclusives, and a lot of those end up being you know indie games that I've purchased on Steam or uh, through you know the Humble Bundle or Steam Summer Sales. And if I could enjoy those from like a handheld type device, that was mighty tempting. I did not get a pre order. I'm going to wait until people have it in their hands, and I start to get sort of the 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 overall understanding of the device uh from from the general public but uh that's sort of where i sit is like dark deity on a steam deck sounds pretty good right now yeah i think that i think that even though they do talk about it being able to play more complex games i think that is honestly where it's it's really going to shine is for you know parents like yourself or or frequent travelers um, you know, who want to, you know, much like a lot of people use the switch, you know, they, they want that, you know, that indie machine or, or it's something that can play, um, games like that, you know, it, it, it could really help, you know, folks, they, they are time constrained to sort of jump in, get the, the, the experience they're looking for and then, and jump back out. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Like even, I know a lot of folks, that is where the test is really going to be and how it runs. Like you said, the more AAA experiences. Um, and I know a lot of people might be looking at this and being like, you want to spend $600 for an indie uh, handheld PC player? And I'm like, kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, when I think of, I'm not really interested in in playing MMOs. I'll check MMOs out and I would still like to have a platform to be able to do that. Uh, but at the end of the day, like a majority of the stuff I play on PC is, is indie stuff. However, you know, I, I will recognize that, um, 
when I'm playing uh, multiplayer games, a lot of the times that's on PC because that's that's where uh, a majority of my friends are playing multiplayer games. So that is a struggle there. Um, but you know this this thing is legitimately a PC. You can install Windows on it. You can wipe it and install Windows. Um, you can run. My understanding is you can run Windows apps on it. So you can install like the Epic Game Store or Xbox Game Pass app. Like that all sounds really nice in that you get the portability and the functions of a console without the lockdown experience of a console. I think that's what surprised me the most about it is that they they don't appear to be making an effort to sort of go exclusive really in any way. Like you said, they're even it sounds like gonna let people install the Epic Game Store, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's a really nice thing to see. And I and I think what it comes down to for me is I want to know the hardware feels good because it does appear to be it's it's a I think it's six centimeters longer than an Xbox or an Xbox uh, a switch and uh, a little bulkier a little heavier also the layout of the buttons with the sort of I think the it's been a while since I've seen it but uh, I think the control sticks are sort of next to the screen with the D-pad and the uh, X Y A B buttons uh just to the to the left and the right of the analog sticks so they're kind of it's not something you are used to from a traditional controller standpoint but people swear it's comfy so uh we'll see and i don't know how do you feel about the hardware setup like do you think you think that thing looks too heavy for you or the buttons are weird i i have to admit i looking at it I I am sort of worried that I like if I was trying to play this that I would end up getting like a hand cramp just because you know it does look I almost want to make like talk about blast from the past but I want to almost make a a comparison between like a Game Boy and a Sega Game Gear because it, it's like that type of like where the switch is is sleek you know this looks it definitely has like a bulkier sort of look to it. <laughs> Well, you know, it's kind of like it depends on how how quickly it catches on because it's kind of like training you to to use the device. I remember, you know, early on when people were reading books on their iPads or watching, you know, iPad stuff in, in bed or whatever, which is super not something you should do, but a lot of people do it. Uh, they would have, you know, complain about the iPad falling on their face or even playing their 3DS while laying down. Like again, like it's all about getting used to it, and and I feel like any you can get used to unless it's like an egregious design, which I don't think this is. It looks okay. It's just, I want it in people's hands before I, I drop the price on it. Uh, cause it is quite expensive. You're likely to look at buying the middle ground because, uh, it offers a faster speed and, and more hard drive space. Um, you can expand using an SD card, but again, the speeds on that are gonna, are gonna differ from the internal hard drive. But the other thing I kind of want to know is, is that compatibility layer, like the software side of it. It looks sleek. What they're presenting looks great. But again, I want people to put it through its paces. And I know Valve knows that that's exactly what gamers are going to do when this thing releases to the public. And I want to know how that goes. That's Those are the two key, key factors for me. If that plays out fine um, and everything continues to work, great in terms of my gaming systems i could possibly look at a steam deck for you know next year if 
if it goes well. Because I mean, it does sound it does sound nice to have like a handheld PC to be playing, you know, those quick and pickup games like Dark Deity to not have to, you know, turn on the computer, navigate to Steam, like load it up, wait for it to load, like to be able to just pick up the Steam Deck, hit the plus button, and start playing right from suspend mode because they they'll have suspend compatibility in here that sounds pretty enticing um but I, I don't know like do you is there is there a specific are, are you like interested in getting one or are you waiting to to see how it's received like what what's your thoughts i don't i don't think it's going to be for me just because i don't i don't tend to um even with my switch i don't tend to take it on the road much i tend to be more of a, a stationary gamer just just by my own habits so but i don't i don't you know a, apart from it being a little bulky I don't, I don't have anything like particularly that i have like an issue with it i just i don't think i'm the the right market for it per se yeah no that's that's totally fair and again like not everything has to be for everybody and i think even if the steam deck has a very specific audience and there is an audience because uh i think the pre-sales i can probably pull it up real quick the pre-sales were like for you know starting shipping december 2021 and then quickly moved to q1 2022 now right now all three models across the board are uh expected order availability after you know q2 22 20 (laughs) q2 2022 i did it uh, around there, but for the base model and the high-end model, it's after Q2 2022. So there's uh, definitely some some want there. I'm sure the, sh- the chip shortage is keeping you know Valve from not over-promising here, but uh, yeah, that's the Steam Deck. Uh, I, we will have someone on the show, likely Lou, uh, in December or January uh, coming up to talk about uh, their hands-on time depending on when they get it in their hands, because right now we only have a vague December 2021 release date. Um, But speaking of release dates, we're going to get through this news real quick. Uh, I apologize to those that were waiting for Horizon Forbidden West, but it looks like it's going to be delayed till Q1 2022. This is not confirmed. It's reporting by uh, Jason Schreier and a couple other outlets, but it's looking very likely... um, that it is going to slip and the last update we the last official update we had from sony was that they were targeting holiday 2022 2021 but uh, they couldn't lock it in just yet so it looks like we'll likely get in a delay announcement and uh yeah i mean i, I want to wait till the game's ready you know uh it is a bummer that we likely might not see another big playstation 5 release until next year but uh, we're also in, you know, <laughs> I almost said unprecedented times, but we're still in a pandemic. And uh, obviously development has been affected. And hell, 2022 is going to be a crazy year for get- video games because there's been a lot of delays um, into the into the new year. So, uh, Josh, I can't recall. Do you have a PlayStation 5? I feel like you don't, but I now I'm mis- I'm not sure of myself here. I I want one, but I I haven't been able to get my hands on one yet. I I I I am looking to 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 get one in the future, especially because um, 
Final Fantasy VII Remake and Final Fantasy XVI will be exclusive, at least temporarily, to to PlayStation. Yeah, or yeah, for the foreseeable future. So does the delay of Horizon Forbidden West sort of like ease your mind and that you don't have to really try, like, I don't want to say really try to get a PlayStation 5, but go through the paces of trying to get one. It can be a little stressful, you know? So does this ease your mind a little bit? Yes and no. I mean, you know, I would hate to, to have, you know, stuff that people are waiting for be delayed. Um, but, you know, it, it is interesting to see that, you know, even even software-wise, you know, like you said, this is still interesting times that we're living in and you know we're, we're definitely still seeing the effects um you know i wouldn't say that 2021 has been so far the <laughs> a normal year that, that we might have been hoping for after last year so um even just in the world of gaming releases so it, it'll be interesting to see when things do hit a more normal schedule whatever that ends up becoming yeah yeah well i mean there's there's been news here and there about what 2022 looks like and what the chip shortage when that could uh, change and i mean uh it, it could be a couple of years before we see a, a complete shift back to normal in terms of production um you know but we might not know the results of that in in a way where uh like for games that might not have been announced yet maybe they were targeting 2022 but they might say ah oh, well now we have to shift to 2023 like we might not even know that's the case until we get to that year. But um, I will share one anecdote because obviously a lot of listeners listeners are probably like, man, Jocelyn's probably pissed by this news. And uh, so she went to the cottage uh, after we recorded our last episode and uh, she was basically up there, which there's not a lot of reception. And this is something she said on Twitter and in Discord. And uh, she came down to visit uh, us here at the house and we're having dinner and and it never came up in conversation about Horizon. I said, oh, you might not have heard. Uh, <laughs> Horizon Forbidden West got delayed till 2022. Did you know that? Like, I'm surprised you did, we didn't talk about it. And she's like, no, I had no idea. And she hadn't seen the story. And, you know, completely, it, she missed it in her feed, you know, just due to the bad reception or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so it was one of those moments where I felt really bad. <laughs> She was hearing it for the for the first time midway through her vacation, um, but uh, I did try to rip the bandaid off uh, in not so an unpleasant way. But it had to be done. She was going to find out eventually. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's not official yet. We don't know. But uh, what might ease all our pains is uh, Genshin Impact. This is a this is a short story, and then we'll wrap. Um, Aloy from Horizon will be arriving this fall to Genshin Impact exclusively to the PlayStation platforms uh, for a month and then joining mobile and PC in November. So you'll be able to get Aloy in October on the PlayStation and uh, then on mobile and PC later on. And the important note is that they did add uh, cross-progression uh, with PlayStation and mobile and PC and the the way there the way the thing to note is that if you played on both platforms with separate accounts um you won't be able to merge those accounts you literally had to have had to not start on playstation platforms in order to bring your progress over from mobile and have it sync 
um, at this stage. I don't know if they'll fix it, but that's sort of where we're at right now. So yeah, you'll get to play as Aloy. I don't know if that's something that you can <laughs> take away as a as a uh, parting treat, but uh, it certainly doesn't make up for the delay. But I don't know if you've played uh, Genshin Impact. Are you excited that they might be bringing like more crossover characters to the game? I I played it on launch um, for a bit, and I I really did like the way it played, um, especially as far as the I guess what people are calling the Breath of the Wild style, like explore anywhere. Um, I sort of fell off it just because I have other live service games that I'm really delving into right now. But I think it's really interesting to see them go, I hate to say this, but almost a a Fortnite type of route where they're starting to introduce some of these crossover characters. I think it it does show the level of popularity that, that Genshin has hit that they're able to sort of attract these. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to see uh, more crossovers with Genshin Impact. And, you know, even if you don't play Genshin Impact, um, but you like Horizon, definitely check out the the show notes links to see what, how they've adapted Aloy over to Genshin Impact. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, a lesson you can take in terms of crossovers from Fortnite is just their ability to adapt any character into their art style. And I think Genshin Impact has done a really good job at bringing Aloy over to the sort of, you know, anime look and feel of of Genshin Impact. So check that out for sure. Even if you're not interested in the game, but you like Horizon and you want to see an anime Aloy, uh, that's the best way to do it. But uh, that is going to conclude our show. Definitely go to the Discord, bit.ly slash TGI Discord. You can email the show, info at gamersinpodcast.com. Those are the two best ways to reach out to us on the show. We're constantly in the Discord. And uh, like we said, Josh, Babylon Redeemer, uh, he is on Discord, and uh, that is where we chat about video games. Josh, uh, can you let folks know where they can find you on the Internet if they want to you know, follow you on Twitter or, uh, as I said, catch you in the Discord? Nice and easy. I am both on Twitter and Discord uh, at Babylon Redeemer. Nice. Definitely give josh a follow on twitter and uh hit him up on discord to chat about various video games uh you can also visit us on the web at gamersinpodcast.com you can follow us on twitter you can find jocelyn at joss plays myself at r murphy josh at babylon redeemer and don't forget to follow the show at the gamers in thanks for staying at the gamers in <laughs> you know I thought I would have fixed this uh, with my five-week hosting stint, but I did not. But thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week. Have yourselves a fantastic time. See you, everybody. See ya. See ya.